Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. I'm so grateful you've joined us for our study through the doctrine of repentance. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon on the doctrine of repentance. Amen. Praise God. Um, I want to go to a very special guest, uh, Curtis Cookingham, who serves here as one of our elders here at Trinity Community Church. Um, he's been on the elder board for long time. <laughs> long time. We are so, so glad to have you here, Curtis. Um, Curtis is a dear friend of mine. You can come on up. Let's go ahead and welcome up Curtis, please. A dear friend and mentor, um, just a godly guy who serves our church uh, very faithfully on, on the leadership team. I'm going to go ahead and read a scripture, and then I will hand it over to Curtis. So I'm going to introduce us first to our topic tonight. We're basing this, of course, off of God's word. This comes from Acts 2, verses 42 through 44. You guys can even turn to that if you want to. Um, we'll be in Acts and, and Matthew throughout the evening. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 44. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Okay, we'll go ahead and hear from Curtis. Good evening. As, uh, as Mark said, my name's Curtis. I'm one of the elders here. I, uh, when I got this topic for this evening from Sam, um, I was delighted. I love reading about the church. I love reading about church membership. Um, before I go any farther, if anybody's, if anybody's curious of reading any more, um, anything by Mark Dever, on the church. He tends to kind of lean that way with a lot of his writings, writings about a healthy church, and also Jonathan Lehman, those two in particular, if there's any interest at all. As time goes on, I see how important it is for believers to be deeply and intentionally committed to a local church. My parents modeled church membership for me while I was young. They modeled it very well. Their, their church was their family. And the way they related to their church is how they related to their family. But during my college and early career years, uh, regular church attendance and a midweek Bible study thrown in was the extent of my church theology. I was living my Christian life independent from the call of Scripture, which we're going to get into, to be committed to a local church. Not just committed, but submitted. We'll talk a little bit about that too to a local church. Um, And my spiritual growth during those years was stifled. I functioned on the perimeter of the church. I was there, but I functioned on the perimeter of the church. I want you to get that little word picture in your head of being on the perimeter of the church. It was not until my wife Pamela and I started attending Trinity that biblical church theology was both taught And I would say even more, I would even say much more, it was modeled for us. As a young couple, we were absolutely 
amazed. We, we came from the Bay Area. We were in a very large church in the Bay Area, um, close to 12 years, 12 or 13 years there. And coming to this church, it was a very, very different experience. We were absolutely amazed at how we were cared for and the love that was extended to our growing family at that time. And I would say even more than that, the love that was extended to our hearts. There was an intention where we were sought out so that our hearts could be discipled. We were compelled to go through the process of formally joining the church soon after that. And this decision has been instrumental in the trajectory of our maturity, our faith, our growth, and our walk with Christ. A couple hopes that I have for this evening. One, that we would see the church as precious because it is precious to Christ. Number two, that we would sense conviction. We would sense the nudge tonight. But we would also leave here encouraged. And thirdly, that we would see church membership as a step of obedience versus an eventual duty that we succumb to because we've attended long enough. In order to talk about church membership, I need to first talk a little bit about the church. Three things I want to go through here. First of all, Christ founded the church. Christ founded the church. Sometimes we think it's a a group of people that got together and thought up the idea, but Christ was the founder. We read in Matthew 16, 13 through 18, you have that in your handout, that Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter responds by saying, Lord, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus then responds back to him with a statement that rocks the world at that time. On this confession, on this truth, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Number two, Christ also purchased the church with his blood. Did you know that? He purchased the church. He purchased your life with his blood. According to Acts 20, 28, Jesus encourages church leaders to keep close watch over the flock, which he has bought He has bought with his own blood. And lastly, Christ intimately identifies with the church. I love this story in Acts 9. You're probably familiar with it when Jesus speaks to the Pharisee Saul while he's walking on the road to Damascus with his entourage, saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute the church? No, he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Christ has already ascended. He's already seated at the right hand of God. But he is identifying himself with us, the church, and you, believers. He's identifying himself with the church. Well-known author Jonathan Lehman, I already mentioned his name, gives a great definition for the church. I'm going to go ahead and read this. It's in your, on your sheet, too. And just make a little note, too, of the the bolded words in this definition. A local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and officially oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ. 
and his kingdom through the gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. So let's break down a couple of those words. First one, local. Local indicates central. Local indicates close by. It indicates accessible. We want our local church to be accessible. We may call our local church in San Diego, but it's not accessible. That might be your home church in another town, but we want, at least according to this definition, the local church should be accessible. Second, Christians, those who are unified under Christ and his gospel. If we're just attending a church and we're not a believer, we are not part of that church. So the church indicates that you have moved from unbelief to belief. Think of, think of Peter's statement that we read earlier in Matthew 16. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Regularly, another word that pops out there, hard to be unified and it's hard to develop deep relationships if you don't attend regularly. You've got to have regular attendance to have those deep relationships, to get to that place where you're heart-to-heart with someone. Affirm and oversee. Man, when, when, when I heard this the first time, I remember, I remember I was shocked. When I heard this, affirm and oversee. Let's go back to the statement that um, Jonathan Lima makes. To affirm and oversee one another's membership in Christ Jesus. Understanding this responsibility placed on the church was a brand new theology to me. I now see my role as a believer differently. I remember sitting in church when I, I remember that kind of hit me and thinking, wait a minute, that means that I am responsible, at least on one level, for that couple who's sitting in front of me. I'm, sitting, I'm, I'm very responsible for the elderly women or woman sitting on the same row as me. That creates, that makes it serious, doesn't it? And then lastly, word that jumps out is gospel, meaning that the gospel of Christ in the church is front and forward in the teaching and the function of the church. Front and forward. Be thankful, young adults. Be thankful that your pastor who's overseeing this ministry, Sam Musgrave, is committed to keeping the gospel front and forward. This church, this greater church, Trinity, is committed to keeping the gospel front and forward by God's grace. We need to also spend a minute on what the church is not. And these two, there's two sections coming up. I want, to li- I want you to listen for yourself in these sections. I want to know if you hear a little tug at the heart. Wow, that sounds kind of like me. Um, first one. First one under what the church is not. The church does not exist for the purpose of meeting our personal needs and desires. You should ask yourself that question. Why am I attending? If it's for a personal need, they may not be for the right reasons. Second, it is not a service provider. It's not like Verizon, T-Mobile, where you can cancel your subscription or your agreement contract anytime you want. 
The, the customer does not all have all the authority when you go to a church. It does not exist to provide entertainment for those who attend. And the church is not a club or a community organization. It's not like a friendly group of people who want to discuss religious topics but never reach the point of getting to the truth. So moving on to church membership. Join in a church, when you think about joining, membership, joining, it has to to do with joining in there. When you think of that, there's always barriers to that. There's going to be barriers to that process. I, I would contend that you can be old or you can be young and still, and still have those barriers present for you. It's not an age-related issue. Some common barriers to membership. I'm going to go through a couple. Again, listen for yourself. Listen for yourself in these. In general, we are untrusting and suspicious of institutions, especially large institutions. You know, there's 1,400 people now, 1,450 people here on Sunday mornings when you, when, you, when you talk about kids too here at Trinity. We are getting large. It's a large, I don't like to refer to the church as an institution, but it's an institutional-like structure. We can be untrusting of that. Number two, we are leery of submitting to leaders who hold places in authority. Churches are elder-led. That's just a fact. The elders oversee the business of the church. I would, I would also say, too, that people are leery if they don't know the leaders. If they don't know who the leaders are, they're even more leery of hitching their wagon to it. Number three, we recoil at the thought. Listen for yourself in this, you guys. We recoil at the thought of submitting to one another. This is foreign in our culture of me and my preferences, my ideas, my life, my time. It's foreign when, you think of, when you're having to think of other people. Number four, there is unconfessed sin. Another barrier, unconfessed sin or pride. You know, simply we just don't want people in our business. We don't want them to know our history. We don't want them to know our weaknesses. And we don't want to be accountable. You know, do you find yourself, Pamela and I talk about this often, do you find yourself thinking, I need to have more deep and close friends, I need to have more accountability with people, but I never take those steps to actually make that happen. And lastly, my co-worker Danny at work, he's your age, he's mid-20s, I asked him this question about barriers, and he brought up a really good point. He said, he's, he's very involved in a local church, very involved in youth ministry, has been as long as I've known him. He explained to me that older church members are not seeking out younger men and women, encouraging and discipling them specifically toward this whole idea of serving the church. Now, older saints are getting together with younger saints. But his point was often it is not for that purpose. There's a crisis going on. There's advice. There's a financial issue. And it's two godly people getting together, but it's not specifically mentoring, discipling. For how do you serve 
in your church. Now, it may surprise you, but there's no single verse in Scripture. There's no single verse in the New Testament that says, join a church and join it quickly. But there is strong assumptions and references to God's design for the local church. So I'm going to go through some areas here. I'm going to encourage you to listen in on this. Why join a church? Why join a church? First, to display the gospel. Remember, it's only because of Christ and his gospel that the church exists. We just read about that. And I would say, even take it a step farther, it is, it is only by the grace of God and his gospel that your rears are in these seats tonight. The fact that you are here is a testimony to God's grace in your life. Paul makes it clear in Ephesians chapter 2 that the gospel not only reconciles us to God, this idea of being reconciled vertically, man to God, by the blood of his son, Jesus. We are also, therefore, reconciled, how? Horizontally to one another as believers, believer to believer. God graciously saves us into the kingdom of his son. And that kingdom shines most brightly through the church. When the church is doing what it's supposed to be doing, the gospel and Christ and his work on the cross shines most brightly. When the church is being the church. When new members join the church, uh, the elders, um, you know, let's, say, let's say there's 80 people that are going to join the church. All 80 of those people, one of the requirements is that they fill out a personal statement of their faith. They fill out their personal testimony, answer a few questions so that we are able to see do they understand the gospel? Are they where they need to be? in their walk, a walk of faith. And by God's grace, I, I mean, it's, 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 there's a lot of joy when you're able to read those. But by God's grace, a very high percentage of those joining the church have made a decision to do that because of the care and the love that they have received from God's people. It's a common theme that we see. The church being the church. They see the gospel shining brightly in the church. And that's what we want. That's what we want to happen. Why join the church? Because we are prone to wander. I had, up until I did this last version, I had, um, because we are prone to fumble on the five-yard line. If we are honest with ourselves, we will admit that our hearts cannot be trusted. If we're honest, we'll admit that our hearts cannot be trusted. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six says it best. He that trusts in his own heart is a fool. Ouch. But whoever walks wisely shall be delivered. We are an independent culture, aren't we? We're very independent. We're pushed that way by our schools. We're pushed that way by our movies that we see and the music. We want control of our time. We want control of our calendar, our relationships, and our decisions, all of which spring forth 
from a heart that is focused on the self. Commitment to a local church body is wise protection. I'm going to say it again. Commitment to a local church body is wise protection from the directions that were pulled. By God's grace, Sam and the pastors provide a steady diet, don't they, from the word. It's a steady diet from the word, week to week. And there's a strong church culture on discipleship. There's a very strong culture in this group, in other groups, high school, junior high, throughout the church for discipleship. We all need prayer. We all need help from our brothers and sisters who are committed to oversee our membership in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, why join a church? Because scripture makes a strong case for it. Now, I I already said that there's no specific verse that says, brother, sister, believer, go join the church. But there's definitely some imagery that we can look to here. In Acts 2, we see leaders beginning to count new converts to the faith and keep church records. Now, these new converts, when they became believers, they didn't get baptized and then take off. Remember, there was no structure in the church at that time. In Acts 2, they didn't take off. They stuck around and they acted like church members. Well, what did they do? They met together regularly. They listened to the apostles teach. They prayed together. They celebrated the Lord's Supper together. That's, what, that's what's meant by a gospel ordinance. The, that's an example of a gospel ordinance that we read lately or, or earlier is the celebration of the Lord's Supper. They provided for one another's needs and they gave the gift of hospitality to one another. The early church was organizing. Second, according to multiple New Testament scriptures, the practice of church discipline was encouraged in the early church. Now, church discipline, what does that sound like? It sounds harsh. It sounds punitive. It sounds embarrassing. But biblical church discipline at the very heart, at the very core, is protective in nature. It always seeks restoration, and it always seeks repentance. By giving the church, that local church, by giving that church the authority to confront sin and care for each other, the expectation of accountability within the church family is greatly elevated. Thirdly, scriptures filled with imagery. You're going to recognize a lot of this, which assumes church membership. Paul refers to the church as the body and Christians as members of the body. In 1 Timothy 3, he also refers to the church as the household of God. Peter refers to Christians as stones that are part of a spiritual house. You can get that kind of image too. Stones all together reinforcing the house, all doing their part And he also calls Christian sheep who are part of God's flock. Church membership is definitely assumed and there was strong evidence in the early church of practice. 
Now, when I was in my 20s and 30s, uh, I was attending a, a church over in the Bay Area, like I said, Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. Um, Presbyterian churches, uh, the idea of being elder-led is forward in that church, those churches. You hear a lot about the elders. Elder so-and-so is praying today. Elder is going to give his testimony. Elder this. You hear a lot about that. And so when I was in my 20s and 30s, my image of church leadership was something like this. Twelve elders sitting around a table talking about the business of the church. You know, gathering information and talking about the business of the church, maybe conducting surveys, maybe hearing from focus groups about what the people in the church wanted and then, res- and then figuring out programs to respond to that. Please hear this, what I'm going to say right now. It's really important, and I think it ties into church membership. It ties into the church. It's very important to understand that elders and church leaders have no authority beyond what is clearly revealed in Scripture. Any vision, any plan, any agenda must be in full submission to Christ, must be in full submission to his word, and also must be in full submission to one another, fellow elders. I want you to know that when the elders meet, if you're wondering what happens there, what happens at those meetings, we think about you, We pray for you. We pray for the church that we have been charged to care over. We seek the leading of the Lord and Savior knowing that his ways are perfect and his word is perfect, but our ways are flawed. Our ways fall short. A passage that applies here, I'm going to go ahead and read. It's on your sheet too. This um, this passage of scripture is what the church used when we built the building that we are meeting in right now. This is the scripture that we use to think, okay, this is the message that we want to, we want to give to the church to get them behind us moving forward with a new building project as we grew as a church. It's Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. I just like it in this translation. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Verse 14, when we, then we no longer, will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Who who does it? He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does his own special work, 
It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is a depiction, I believe, of a healthy church. You know, when you, if you're not members of a church, it's kind of maybe not even on your radar screen. When you decide to join a local church, look to this passage and see if the church that you're wanting to join lives up to this, is living up to this. It's a good litmus test. A few closing thoughts and applications. This may not fit so much into church membership, but I think it fits really well with a group such as this, where you're meeting on a regular basis and you're building relationships, you're deepening relationships. First of all, love the church. Love the church. Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. But if we're honest, if we're really, really honest when we think of church, There are times we find ourselves loving the idea of a good church, not so much the church. We love certain pastors. We love certain doctrines. We love certain worship music or a worship style. Or we simply love that the church is professional or organized or puts on events really well. You know, during the ministry of Jesus, he had no buildings, he had no programs. Only sheep, only people, believers, and he poured himself into them. Number two, make yourselves ready and available. I think it's a good prayer for us to say, make, Lord, make me ready for what is going to come my way with people. Christ willingly entered our mess, and he demonstrated the full essence of humility and gentleness and long-suffering. He entered the messy lives of his disciples, and there may be a time soon when you are called on to do the same, where you are called on to give yourselves over to a brother and sister or walk a difficult road with them, enter into suffering with them. Pray that you'll be ready. Pray that you'll be equipped to enter in and follow the example of Christ kind of points back to this, what I've said a couple times now, this idea of being the church. What does that mean to be the church? It's about people. Number three, know your flock. This is your flock right now. Know the flock that you have been placed within. Warmly welcome visitors. Draw them out. Listen to their stories. Encourage them, include them, and make strong commitments to follow up with them. Follow-up is huge. It's huge. When people follow up with me, that is an extra level of care. Lastly, if you are a believer who's functioning on the perimeter of the church, remember we talked about that earlier, for whatever reason, and there may be many why you're kind of functioning on the perimeter, you're walking the perimeter, humble yourself and prayerfully consider church membership. Open yourself up to others who are committed again. We're committed to overseeing your walk with Christ. And as mentioned earlier, there's an exploring church membership class coming up this weekend. I want to emphasize something with that too. It says exploring church membership. You're not going to get funneled into a line 
where you're going to get pressured to sign a, a contract or something. It's exploring church membership to find out what Trinity Community Church stands for. My prayer is that we'll, there will be some of, some of you here tonight who will decide that you may want to attend. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you that as you did in the early church, you are increasing the numbers of this group. You're growing this group as you did in your early church. Thank you that through Pastor Sam, the ministry of your word, these young men and women intentionally caring for one another is all things that we see. We see that happening and we see that going on. We see them being the church. Lord, I pray that you would enlarge our hearts toward others. We are grateful and we are thankful. I pray over this group, Lord. I pray that there would be relationships that would deepen. I pray that Christ would continue to be exalted, not just from the frontier, but also in each one of the people who are here tonight, Lord, their individual lives, that Christ would be exalted and your word would be loved. We pray that over this group. We pray this for the future of this group and ask these things in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. And if you're interested in a great Bible college here in the area, check out calchristiancollege.edu. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.